I never preach without considering the fact that as I stand before the congregation that there are people that have needs, needs that only God can meet. And I also know that our needs are not always obvious to other people. We look around uh, the room this morning and we look at someone and we might suppose they they don't have any really serious needs. I often think about Bev and uh, and you know how can someone you know so beautiful and look so healthy have so many uh, so many difficulties, not just difficulties, but so many things living in pain you know every day and it's just you know remarkable that uh, of what god can do in keeping a person going but uh, uh you know we look at someone and we think well boy they're in really in good health and uh, uh the truth of the matter is we just don't know what's what's going on and we need to pray for for those folks and we need to take it serious some years ago, I met a fellow by the name of Bill Harvey. I don't know how many of you ever heard of Bill Harvey, but Bill was a songwriter. Oh, there's someone. Bill was a songwriter and uh, a soloist, and uh, he, he used to sing at the Crusades for oh, a lot of different evangelists, but especially John R. Rice and, and Jack Hiles and different ones when they would have their Crusades and Bill would sing, and I'll never forget hearing him sing a song that he wrote. Uh, in fact, several years ago, we had a Sunday school campaign based on that. Uh, it was entitled, I Want That Mountain. Uh, anybody ever heard that? I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Well, I, I, that, yeah, I just just curious if you how many people heard it. But I'll never forget how that song moved my heart because I mean that you know you think about the needs in your life and that was back at a time. Well, I won't go into a lot of detail, but I was a young preacher back then, and uh, we were starting a church in a little old town of a population of four hundred, and we. I'm telling you what, we didn't have hardly anything, but uh, after hearing Bill sing that song and meeting him and uh, just sharing my heart with him, uh, I went back home with a renewed uh, desire to to get all that God had for me. And uh, the story, of course, is based upon uh, a man by the name of Caleb. He was a man that wanted everything that God had for him and refused to give up. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 14, and we're going to read about uh, this part of the story of Caleb at the age of 85, still making plans. We begin in verse number 6, And then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I 
when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there, and that the cities were great, and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. I want you to hang on to that phrase, as the Lord said, and we'll get back to it later on. First of all, I want you to take into consideration his unfavorable circumstances or You might call it the commencement of his life, the unfavorable beginning that he had. And one of the things that makes this story so interesting to me is that uh, Caleb came from, uh, from an unlikely place. Our text tells us that he was a Kenzite, and that doesn't mean anything to us today, you know, he, you know, totally worthless information as far as we're concerned. and uh, But with the Jewish people in that day, this was a very important matter because it spoke to the fact that he was a descendant of Esau, not Jacob. And his father had evidently married into the tribe of Judah. And when Caleb was born, there's no reason to think that he will ever amount to anything There's no reason to think that he would ever accomplish anything great. Everything is against him. And yet, in all of this, God is at work behind the scenes, and he brings him to the place that he becomes the prince of Judah's tribe. I mean, only God can put things together like that. And and the point is that regardless of your circumstances... You can be a success. No one has to be a failure. Success may be defined as discovering the will of God and doing it, and that's something that every Christian can do. And history is full of examples. I mean, we could just go back through uh, the the history books and... uh, 
there's someone every day publishes a book at the history of the Baptist, and it's really interesting reading because you know a lot of folks got the idea that uh, that we you know we we come along much much later than. Uh, than some of the other people that I could mention. And the fact of the matter is that every true church from the very beginning that was baptistic in nature, and we're able to look back through history and, and be able to trace the history of the Baptist people. So there's a good reason, there's a good reason for us to favor the name Baptist. But you can look back and see that a lot of these people came from unlikely places, horrible backgrounds, and everything was against them, and yet God used them mightily. That's what we see in the story of Caleb, and that's what I want you to think about this morning as you consider the circumstances of your life. Because there's no doubt someone here, and you're thinking to yourself, so far in life, everything has been working against me. It might be that someone doesn't even know who their father is. It might be that someone comes from a broken home. It might be that someone is in ill health and it just everything is going against them and they're thinking to themselves, I don't stand a chance of ever being used greatly of the Lord. And that's just not true. And so we see here this unfavorable circumstance that he comes out of But I want you to notice his unwavering commitment, and it mentions it in verse 7, 8, and 9. He talks about the fact that he wholly followed the Lord. Here was a man that was determined that he was going to do right regardless of what anyone else did. Here is a man who proved himself to be trustworthy. Remember, he was chosen as one of the twelve spies when they went into the land to spy the land out. Out of all of the people, he is chosen as one of those twelve spies. And so he comes back with the report He and Joshua stand in opposition against the status quo. They say, God has given us the land, let's go in and take it. Somebody said, there's giants in the land, we're like grasshoppers, and that made no difference to Caleb, because he knew that God was on his side. And so he wanted to go in and to possess the land. By the way, that's what God wanted them to do. God wanted them to trust Him to go in, fight against the giants, take the land that He had promised to give to them, but the people opposed and they voted it down. And here we see a glimpse of Caleb's greatness because when they voted it down out of fear, they deprived him of the privilege of entering into the promised land. They deprived him of the inheritance that God had promised to give to him. And yet, in all of this, he never became bitter. He never acted responsible, uh, responsible, un, un, unresponsible. Uh, in all of this, here is a man that kept his bearings and realized what was important. A man who all this time nearly 40 years wandering out there in the wilderness without any bitterness toward the people. A man who continued on with his responsibilities and remained steadfast in all of that. In other words, he never allowed the disappointments of life to affect him or cause him to quit. 
It would have been real easy just to give up. Well, what's the use? Nobody will cooperate. Nobody but me and Joshua wants what God wants. Might as well just quit. Might as well just give in. I've heard of pastors resigning churches because in their, in their estimation, you know, the church was dead as a doornail. They couldn't get them to do anything. They wouldn't respond. They resisted every proposal that the pastor made. And finally, the pastor just arrived at the conclusion, I can't do anything here. I'm going on to find a better ministry somewhere else. We need to realize that difficulties, disappointments, hardships, heartbreak, all of these things never give us an excuse to quit on God. He continued serving God. He continued being a blessing to the very people that stood against Him. And God rewarded that. I want you to notice, beginning in verse number 10, His unrelenting courage and in our text here where He says, I want that mountain. Now at this point, they're already in the promised land. Nearly 40 years have passed since they were at Kadesh Barnea when they went in to spy out the land. So nearly 40 years has gone by. Now they are in the land Natural reasoning might suggest that you're an old man. Now is the time to just sit back and rest on your laurels. After all, you have established a good reputation. You have become well known. You are success. You are famous among the people. You've been faithful to God all of these years. You're 85 years old. Just sit back and take it easy. It's time to retire. But here was a man that was still excited about serving God. Here is a man who was adventurous, a man who was courageous. Here's a man at 85 that's still willing to fight. Somebody might have said, well, you know, what difference will it make at this point, you know? Why don't you just let the younger folks go, you know, out through the territory and divide up the land. I mean, it's their turn. You're old. You've suffered through this disappointment. There's no reason for you to go out and to fight against the enemy. Just sit back and let them do it. Well, in the first place, it might be they would not have done it. That's a very good possibility. In fact, if you read... The rest of the history, you'll discover they did not drive out all of the enemies like they should have. You see, Caleb knew that if that land was ever going to become his, that he had to take responsibility to go out and to take it. Why was that so important? Because it's a, it's a fact that God had promised that land to him. But listen, this is for the family inheritance You see, it's not all about Caleb. It's not just what Caleb wanted to do. It's not just what he wanted to accomplish. It's not just what he wanted to gain in the process. This is something that he wanted for his family. By the way, this became the most choice parcel in all of the promised land. And I think God made it so. Amen? And Caleb, for whatever reason, recognized this is where God wants 
my people to be. And it was through his effort that they inherited that part of the land. There's a lot of different stories within this story that, that teach us valuable lessons. We need to press onward and upward in our service to God. We need to have a goal in mind. And, and I don't mean just any goal. Somebody says, well, yeah, yeah, I've got all my goals. You're kind of like the uh, fellow that I talked to years ago that said his goal was to become a millionaire before he was 30 years old. Well, you know, that, uh, that, that's pitiful to have, uh, you know, a goal like that, that you're going to invest your life, and the main thing in your life is just trying to make money. I mean, that's pitiful. Others, you know, their goal is to become a major league ball player or something. And that's what they live for. That's all that's important to them. You know, look, it's fine for you to make a lot of money. It's fine for you to reach some of those things that people consider to be important goals in life. But it's never right for you to make that your main purpose in living. And believe me, the thing that mattered most to Caleb was that he receive what God had for him. And he recognized that he was on a mission. The saddest people I know are those who realize no purpose in life. They have no mission in life. They have no goals in their life. They just exist. That, that's, that's, that's all it is. They get up in the morning and they wash their face and they eat their breakfast and they go through the day and they go to bed at night, but there's nothing that really drives them and moves them. But Caleb was different. He wanted something. Not Listen, not just for himself. This was for his family. This is what God had promised, by the way. And we'll get to that. Now, look at verse number 12. We see his unfaltering confidence. He says in verse number 12, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. Now listen to the last part of this. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were noticed great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, Amen. as the Lord said. I mean, he just oozing of confidence here. But the confidence is not in himself. He's not thinking to himself, look, you know, I have all of these years of experience in leading people. Not only that, but I've gone through these different experiences that has prepared me for this moment. I am well able. I'm still physically fit. I can fight. I can lead. This is a no-brainer. Let's go. I've got this. Some folks approach life in that way and leave God out of the picture. But he says, you know, if the Lord, if the Lord is willing, he says, I am able. God will make me able. If the Lord will be with me, then shall I drive them out. And we need that kind of confidence in life, regardless of what we do. If we're going to be successful, we have to have a confidence that is rooted and grounded in the Lord. 
and he did. Now notice his unlikely conquest and his unquestionable contribution that he makes. Because no doubt somebody is wondering, well, did all of this make any real difference? Other than the fact that he inherited this this property. Was there anything else that made a difference? Well, it became the city that was given to the priest. Now think about that. Out of all of the cities, this became a city that was given to the priest. The area became an area where there was a city of refuge. It became David's royal residence. All of this here, the same property that Caleb claimed, the same property his family would have never had were it not for his confidence in God. So the point is that Caleb's life made a difference not only to him, but a difference to others. Now, let me wrap all of this up and get back to that little phrase that I mentioned earlier. And the Lord said... I I went through this chapter and just reading through it and trying to trying to really pick apart each verse so I didn't miss anything. And if I counted right, there are six instances in this chapter where it makes reference to God saying something. Now the reason this is so important because whenever Caleb said, I want that mountain, he's not just expressing the desire of his heart like somebody would whenever they say, I want to be a millionaire, or I want to be this, or I want to be that. It's not some goal that he just arbitrarily set for himself. This is something that was based upon the promises that God had made. His whole life is based upon promises that God had made. He was asking for what God had already promised. And whenever we consider, as Peter said, that God has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Isn't that great? He's given unto us, to His people. He's given unto the children of God exceeding great and precious promises. Remember, this is the word of one who cannot lie. And He's given us these exceeding great and precious promises. And when we consider that, and we look at this story, it ought to be so easy for us to make a personal application. Because it's not, I repeat, it's not just a matter of you having a goal that will make you happy. Something that will make you famous. It's you knowing what God's promises are. You'd be surprised how many folks don't know what all God has promised. It's a matter of knowing what God has promised and claiming what God has promised. The sad truth is many are living far beneath their privileges. By that, I mean they're settling for second best. By that, I mean they're settling for less than what God wants them to have. And I hope, look, I hope that you're hoping for something better than that. It's, it's my desire that you want what God wants for your life. He said, I want that mountain. 
That mountain to him was a certain geographical location. It's a high place. I want that mountain. But whenever we think about the personal application and what God has promised to us, we're not talking about a geographical location. We're not talking about real estate now. We're talking about something that God wants us to have, something that God has promised that we can have. And in light of that, I want you to think about what mountain you might want. So what is it that God wants for us? What is it that God has promised that we can possess? Well, there are a lot of different things. How about the mountain of love? I mean, after all, the Bible speaks about a a love that passes knowledge. I mean, it's something that's even far beyond we can understand. A love that never fails, Paul said. A love that thinketh no evil. Kind of love that reflects the likeness of Christ to others. And the sad truth is there are a lot of folks, rather than possessing that kind of love, they're full of bitterness and anger and hatred. And what they need is to lay claim to that mountain of love that God has promised to provide. You know, I've heard people say, well... We're getting a divorce. Why? Well, I, you know, I, I don't love her anymore. Well, you need to learn to love her. Amen. We talk about falling in love. We all know what that means, of course. But we talk about falling in love. Let me tell you, it's never an excuse to get a divorce because you no longer love your spouse because if you are a Christian, you have the ability to learn to love that person regardless of how many faults they have. Just saying they've got a lot of faults, I don't love them anymore, that's not good enough. In fact, the Bible says the older women are to teach the younger women to do what? To love their husbands. That ought to be a a part of the ministry of every older woman to teach a younger woman how to love their husbands. And you do that best by example. But love is something that is within the reach of every single Christian. And a lack of it is an indication something is seriously wrong in our life. For some of you this morning, the mountain that you need, the mountain I hope you want, is love. God has promised it. God has provided it. And we all need more of it. But not only that, the Bible speaks about a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Rather than, rather than living a life that is all gloom and doom, the Bible has told us that we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Boy, I tell you, a lot of folks need that mountain. We think about people here in America and we've got more than anybody in all of the world. We're living in the lap of luxury. And we are no doubt the most miserable people on the face of the earth. You look at those people in the third world countries and people that are doing without, and yet you see a happiness in some of them that you no longer see in America. We need that joy because the joy of the Lord is what? It's our strength. 
if we don't have the joy of the Lord, we are weak Christians. And as a weak Christian, we're not only not going to be able to resist temptation, we're eventually going to succumb to evil, fall into sin, and live a defeated life. You see, joy is not just kind of a little fringe benefit that it's nice if you have it and, you know, no big deal if you don't. No, I'm telling you, it is absolutely essential to your welfare in life. Joy. And for some of you, the mountain that you need is joy. For others, it's peace. The Bible talks about a peace, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Well, there's so many things for us to worry about today. You know, we worry about who's going to win the next election. We worry about what's going on over in some part of the world where we've never even been and we really don't know what's going on. We're worried about the economy. We're worried about everything under the sun. And we just live in a state of turmoil. And for a Christian, we ought to have peace in our heart. That ought to be a mountain that we pray for, that we long for, that we fight for, as it were. Love, joy, peace. And the Bible speaks of faith. A faith that gives us blessed assurance. We need that faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, we're going to live our life in doubt, a cloud of doubt over us all the time. Look, that's what got Israel in trouble. That's what caused the problem. You think about those 38 and a half years that they suffered there in the wilderness. All of that was unnecessary. You think about all of those who died that were over the age of 20. Think about that. Thousands upon thousands of people that died premature deaths. Why? Because they doubted God. God said, I'll give you the land. And they said, we're afraid you won't. We're afraid that we can't possess the land. And if you're here this morning and you're given to gloom and despair and your heart is filled with doubt, you need to claim the mountain of faith. We need a hope that is steadfast and sure. Something that provides us with an anchor in the storms of life. We need wisdom that is from above. Let me ask you, why would anyone not want what God wants for them? Can you imagine if Caleb had said, you know, look, Lord... I know that you said that the, that land is for the inheritance of my family. But I don't really see anything special about it. In fact, I've had my eye on another piece of property over there. And it's not up on a mountain where I'm going to have to climb. It's not inhabited by enemies that I'm going to have to fight. In fact, it's down in a valley. The fishing's good, peaceful, a lot of green grass for my cattle. That's, that's what I want. Now, you see, that's what most people would have done, right? But Caleb said, I want that mountain. The mountains are just more than a little bit hard to climb, by the way. 
And especially whenever the enemy is there and you're going to have to fight. Why would he want anything other than what God wanted? Remember, God's will is always right. God's will is always best. God's will is always the safest. And so when he said, I want that mountain, he's saying, I want what I know is rightfully mine that God has given me. I want what is best for me and best for my family. I want the safest place. By the way, the safest place wasn't the easiest place to live. Not initially, because there was a battle to fight against the enemies. You see, when we think about, and we sometimes forget this, we're talking about a mountain. I want a mountain. Not something in the valley, not something on the plain. I want a mountain. And whenever we think about the mountains in our life that we should desire, whether it's love or joy or peace or faith or hope or whatever it is, now if you can tell me this morning that you're not lacking in any of those things, you are already in possession of everything I've just mentioned. You have, you have a love that passes knowledge. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have a peace that passeth all understanding. You have a rock-solid faith. You have hope that's steadfast and sure, wisdom that is from above. And you, if you can tell me that you possess all of those things, that those are mountains that you already have claimed, then good for you. Most of us, if we're honest, would have to admit there's some mountains that I need to claim in my life. Now think about this. God said to Israel, I'm going to give you the land. And He said to Caleb, I'm going to give you this particular spot in the land. That will be the inheritance for your family. I'm going to give it to you. We hear that word give and we always think of what? A gift, right? I'm going to give it to you. But you see, that does not rule out the fact that they had to put forth an effort to get it. It's like the old saying, God feeds a sparrow, but He doesn't throw the worm in the nest. You see. So although God has promised that we can have a love that passes knowledge and joy and peace, God's promised and provided for us to have all of those things they do not come to us without some kind of effort on our part. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If that's true, and it is, you'll never have the kind of faith you need if you ignore the Word of God. You see, if you're lacking in faith, there's something that you can, something you must do about it. So for you to claim that mountain, for you to say my marriage is on the rocks and it's in that condition because I am lacking love for my spouse. Or I'm living my life in misery because I have absolutely no joy in life. Regardless of the circumstances, we never have anybody else to blame but ourselves. And although God has promised I will give you those things, There must be a commitment made on our part, energy expended 
There must be an attitude of determination. In other words, it's got to be something that we go after. Many years ago, there was a convention that calls the Keswick Convention in England. And I can remember as a young preacher getting hold of some of these books, and boy, some of those guys were really good preachers in the sense of being enjoyable to listen to and so forth, and great writers. But you could sum all of it up like this. Their whole philosophy on victorious living amounted to this, that it's just let go and let God. It's not a matter of you making an effort. It's a matter of you just putting your trust in God and just uh, let go, let God. The only problem with that is it doesn't work. Amen. You know, the Bible, isn't that what we ought to be basing everything on? Yeah. The Bible says, in talking about living victoriously, Paul says that we are to put off the old man. Yeah. And not only put off the old man, that is the old lifestyle, but put on the new man. In other words, when God says that, it's speaking about an activity on our part. It's showing us that God places that responsibility squarely on our shoulders. Now, it's true that we'll never be able to have the kind of love that God has promised without God. But nor will we ever have it without effort, commitment, determination on our part. Am I making sense? I mean, the Israelites could have said, look, if you want us over in the land of Canaan, just pick us up and transport us through the air and set us down over there. God could have done that, but He didn't. He said, I'm going to give it to you, but it's going to be blood and guts. You're going to have to go and you're going to have to fight, and I'm going to give you the victory, but you've got to be committed enough to make some kind of an effort You've got to be faithful to claim the promise that I've given and to prove your faith by your activity. Remember James talked about a faith that doesn't work is dead. Real, true faith is active. It works. 